You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. No matter how much you plan and prepare, life inevitably happens and you might find yourself with plan A and plan B out the window, desperately searching for a plan X, Y, or Z. If or when you are thrown one curveball after another and it all feels like it's spiraling completely out of control, what do you do? How do you still thrive? Is it even possible? Two-time nationally best-selling author Jordan Lee Dooley is no stranger to catching life's curveballs, and she's sharing her best perspective shifts and attitude adjustments to make moving forward an easier, more possible process. Jordan gives real and raw advice with practical next steps for you today if you too are finding yourself in one of life's waiting rooms or middle grounds. Whether you're facing failure in your job, are experiencing infertility, or just need help staying grounded and tending to the seeds that you've planted in faith in hard times, this episode will help you uproot limiting beliefs and get back into a hopeful posture. Stay tuned through this episode, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and welcome Jordan. Oh, thanks for having me. I am so honored to get to chat and looking forward to this conversation. Even some of the, the quick conversation we had before we got to hit record was so good. So I know this is going to be a really yeah. good one. For sure. For sure. So give our listeners the lowdown on you for anyone who has not yet heard of you, heard your podcast, read your books and where you're currently at in life that led you to write and rewrite embrace your almost your latest jam, which is so good by the way. Yeah. Well, the, the quick overview of my story is I started in college with a small little Etsy store. I needed some sort of creative outlet and that kind of just led to one thing after another. It started to grow. I started using social media, which led to more growth. Um, started writing like stories and blogging alongside my Etsy store that led to doing a little wedding photography, dabbling in that speaking. Like I just kind of started doing all these different creative endeavors and they all was kind of hodgepodge together there for a bit. And, um, over time that led to eventually not only speaking on college campuses, but then eventually writing my first book. I had written a couple of shorter books, kind of like workbook style, coloring book type devotional works. It was, it was more self-published type work. Um, and then I had an opportunity to write a book and I was like, what am I going to write a book about? But how do I say no to this opportunity? So um, I had a little bit of an idea, but it was very rough the first time around. And that book eventually ended up becoming Own Your Every Day, which was the first book I released. And um, then I you know, did that continue to grow. And right before about a year before own your every day came out, I launched my podcast. She, which is kind of like a workshop style podcast. We talk about women's health. We talk about, um, home, like, you know, cultivating a cleaner home. We talk about work. Like it's just kind of like a workshop style for the modern woman. And, uh, so we started that in 2018 first book came out in 2019. And then I started working on my second book in 2020 and ironically, like I had this entirely, you know, this really clear idea, we were rolling with it. And then my life imploded multiple times out of nowhere. And it was really interesting because the way I tell this story is like, 
I finished the year 2019 thinking I was on top of the world. Like everything was going my way. We had bought a house the year prior. My husband was able to come home from his job and work with me and start his own business full time. Um, I had released my book. It was a national bestseller, was on Success Magazine's 30 under 30 list. Like there were so many things that like on paper were like, check, 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 check. Life is awesome, you know? and then in December, right at the end of the year, found out we were pregnant. And it was a bit of a surprise. It wasn't like we were like totally surprised, but we weren't trying. And so it was like, oh my gosh, this is just like a cherry on top of like everything. Check another box off. And within a month of that, ended up losing that baby kind of unexpectedly. And so that really threw me for a loop. And I was like, wait, this doesn't happen to me. Like what, what? you know, and it really was the first moment that I was, that I think I, in, in my, in my adult life that I realized, man, you can do all the right things and things can still go wrong because really with having a lot of early success, like in my early twenties, I had built a seven figure business and grown an online following and done all these things that look really flashy and cool and felt successful. Um, it was really interesting because I had gotten used to, if I just set a goal or if I want to do something, I do all the right things and then I achieve it. Right. And then suddenly for the first time in my life, like that blew up in my face. And so that happens and process that kind of thought, well, that's a fluke, whatever. Two months later, COVID hit, throws off all our professional plans, like blows up all the things we had planned for the year in my face. So within the first three months of the year, I had replanned my year twice. Um, and then found out I was pregnant again, like a month later. And I was like, Oh, we're back on track. Things are good. It's fine. And I actually really was convinced that everything was going to be fine. I carried through the whole first trimester was going into my second trimester. We had taken our announcement photos. I was literally one day away from posting our announcement on the internet when I had one follow-up ultrasound and lost that baby too. And that was a really traumatic experience that really wrecked me. I mean, honestly, just from a physical perspective, surgical complications, all that kind of stuff. So anyways, the point of sharing those details is because there was everything was going my way for years. I had built a lot of things, had a lot of success, you know, whatever. And then within six months, it just felt like everything blew up in my face and none of it made sense. And anyway, I was in the process of starting to write Embracer Almost. And I had actually turned in the first version of the manuscript. It was titled something different before. And I had turned in the first manuscript 10 days before I found out about my second loss. So there was a little bit of this message that kind of came through. That was a little bit of that cliche of like, Hey, if you, if something doesn't work out, just get up and try again. Right. (laughs) Like we always hear. And suddenly I was like challenged by my, my own message of that because, and by that message, because suddenly I was like, well, what happens when you do get up and try again and you get knocked down again? And how much more realistic is that to life? Like sometimes we give our best and we still run into brick walls or something still throws us you know, off course or we still get laid flat on our backs when we least expected it. And what do we do with that? And how do we deal with the subsequent uncertainty or unknown or waiting of like, you know, is this going to work out? Where do I go from here? You know, there's a lot of confusion that happens when we get thrown off course or we are faced with some sort of tragedy or unmet expectation, whether it's really, really hard or just inconvenient. Um, and I think I'm, I'm experienced a mix of both some inconveniences due to things like COVID and whatnot um, and change plans, but also some tragedy, like all in a very concentrated period. And so it really started to shift as we were editing the book. I remember I had text or I had messaged my editor when I sent in the first manuscript shortly before we found out about the second loss. And I said, Hey, the last chapter where I had said like, but now I'm pregnant. Like if you just get, you know, just give it your best shot, it'll all work out. Like I was wanting that book to be tied up with this pretty little bow of like, things will just work out. 
And so I left a note because I was only like 12 weeks at the time. And I said, hey, like this chapter is like pretty much done, but let's like leave it a little open-ended for another six weeks or so till I'm really, really sure. So it's like, even a part of me knew that this book wasn't complete. And it was just such a, a eye-opening experience for me. It was really hard. I mean, it's hard when you like write the story you want to live and then your life doesn't go that way. Um, but I think as people, we tend to pencil in our own redemption stories and especially as a writer, yeah. we do that. I know I did that. Yep. And so it was really a strange experience to have to go back and be like, okay, so that's not how the story went. But I think it made for a more real book that actually meets people where they are. So anyways, that's kind of an overview of my story and what led to the unfolding of a book called Embrace Your Almost, like almost getting to where you thought you'd be and having to go back to the starting line. Yeah. And what I loved so much about it and what I personally related to also and share my own two cents on often here too, it's you and I are both those driven, ambitious people, Enneagram threes, the high achievers in the house being hit with real life. So do you think, did you also face some feelings of like imposter syndrome or questioning your identity through all of that? Because I feel like that's something where that's not often talked about too much where like reality being, like you said, sometimes no matter how hard you try or how well you do or how hard you pray or how hard you anything, you still don't get X. Yep. And we've both come, we're both those people who try to connect the dots and make it all make sense. But sometimes even if, or when you do get X, it doesn't even necessarily mean you'll be happy in the end. And we end up having this whole like full-blown identity crisis along the way. Like, yeah. wait a minute, am I no longer, am I no longer good at achieving? Do I no longer know how to do it right? Am I no longer what? So talk, t tell us a little bit about that too. If you at all felt that like blatant identity crisis kind of moments, I sound so dramatic, but I'm sure people can relate to it and like how you mentally worked yourself through that and kind of regrounded in what was now very much reality moving forward and still, you know, not necessarily bad, but just so yeah. different from what you had known and expected. Yeah. You know, I think when you, like I kind of mentioned, when you get used to this pattern of I set the goal or I identify what I want and I take the steps and I, I stick with it and I'm consistent and I do all the right things and then voila, I get what I want. I think what was interesting for me was when circumstances spiral so far outside of your control, um, you, you almost are, yeah, it's like this identity. Of, it, it, it's truly like a breaking open of like, who am I outside of being able to achieve the things I thought I'd be able to achieve, right? And it was even kind of a, a mind game and whatnot for me because I had this realization of like, oh my gosh, I think I've turned even things like that are not work and not truly goals like motherhood or the sacredness of relationships into something to achieve. Like if I just, you know, time it right and make a plan and eat the right foods and do this and do that, like I'll get, you know, X plus your A plus B equals C. And, you know, I think it was truly, and I, and I think even just in that case with loss specifically, there was a bit of an identity crisis of like, what am I now? Do I count as a mom? Right. So like, I think that happens to us, whether or not that's the specific circumstance, when we make progress toward a new milestone in our life or a goal that we've been working toward or something we've hoped for, and then it gets painfully disrupted or delayed, or even seems to be completely destroyed. There is this like, 
what am I? Who, who am I now with or without this thing? What do I count? Like I struggled a lot with like, do I count? Like, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I think I experienced that in various different ways, even like career-wise because that disrupted those losses and COVID disrupted a lot of the plans I had career-wise. So it kind of felt like that year, my business was kind of spiraling out of control because I was like, well, we had all these plans and these things in place and we can't do any of them now. So what do I do with that? And so I felt like I was just coming up against like endless resistance, you know? And, um, I finally kind of had to get its place of being like, I have to release all the expectations I had for this year. And that wasn't like this overnight process, but it was just kind of learning to be like, okay, what do I actually prioritize? What do I need to steward right now? And I kind of started to shift my mindset. And I talk about this in the book and it's still an ongoing process, but I had to start coming to this. I think for so long, I looked at life as a game. You know, I do this, I do that. And then I win. Um, And I think when we turn life into a game, there's, then the subsequent reality that we turn it into a race and we feel like we're up against the clock. We're up against society's expectations. We're up against our friends, whatever, who are ahead of us or behind us or whatever. Um, and so as much as that's like, I think a very natural feeling and a very normal thing to, to wrestle with and to experience, I kind of had to shift that, that that summer I had gotten into gardening because I was like, I need a hobby. Like I need something to take my mind off of everything. So I got into gardening, but in that process, I started to try to shift from looking at life solely as a game to looking at it more like a garden. And I'd ask myself questions like, okay, what's withering and what needs tending and what are areas that maybe I've neglected or that have been really heavy that I've kind of wanted to ignore. And so I started to just make that simple mindset shift. And that did help me kind of start tending to the things in my heart, in my belief system, in my life, in my relationships, et cetera, that really needed truth or time or tending or all of the above, um, versus just feeling like it was a game to win. And if I just, you know, do all the right things and plug in the right pieces, it'll all work out. So even that simple mindset shift, I think is a starting point when you begin to feel like everything's spiraling out of control and crumbling because that's the reality of life. Like we get, we don't get to control the outcome of a game or a garden, but we can steward it. Um, and we can tend to it. And I think that's what I started to lean into of like, okay, maybe this whole idea of if I just do this, then I'll get that is has to go out the window. And instead it's like, if I can steward this well, then I can at least at the end of the day, feel like I've got the peace of knowing I've done everything I can to allow my life to thrive. Um, but that's a hard mindset to shift from when you're an achiever. At least it was for me (laughs) and it still is. Oh, it totally is. Totally is. But what I love about that so much, it's such a powerful metaphor. I feel like because it's so visual and it's so obvious. Mm -hmm. And when you put it, when you put it side by side with life, it makes sense, but it's something where I feel like when you read it for the first time, you're just like, Whoa, wait a minute. Of course that makes sense. And then that's almost what shocks you into like, wow, I have not been treating my life the same way, but it almost puts it into perspective of like, you know what the supposed or the wanted end goal is, especially like as you would in a garden, but you kind of understand a lot quicker and a lot easier that of course there are outside variables that are going to impact this. Of course, there are elements of it that are totally outside of your control and there's not as much pressure on it. And you view the end goal as so much more of a gift and a happy surprise and like, Oh my goodness, look at this harvest. Look at this beautiful thing. Like you cherish it differently. You, you just, I think the entire way you view the process is just a little bit different, but it's a healthier way to view it. And it's a much more realistic way to view it based on how life is. So I think that's such, it was such a beautiful metaphor that you kept going throughout the book because it was just so real. I think the thing too, is like, we tend to identify when something fails right? Like, or something doesn't work out. 
I think a lot of times we own that as our own failing when a lot of times it is because the random bunnies came along and ate the, you know, carrot leaves or because, you know, there was a storm or, you know, the, the soil wasn't great or whatever. And so, you know, there's so many elements that when you can kind of give yourself grace in that regard, it doesn't mean you just stop trying. It doesn't mean right. you just give up. I think it just helps you separate the, the zucchini that didn't grow right, how you wanted it to from your identity and your own failing. You know, I told this story in the beginning of the book, and I think it's really relevant because, um, the first time I started a garden, I knew nothing about gardening. Right. And we decided to do this in August in Indiana, which the time to start a garden we learned later is May in Indiana. <laughs> so we start this garden. It, you know, I'm expecting like this bountiful harvest within a couple of months. I'm going to get like all these fall squashes and kale and all this stuff. And everything died except one kale plant. And it didn't really thrive or flourish or grow. It just kind of like survived. So at the end of this thing, I had four kale leaves, not plants, leaves. And I mean, I literally just like picked them because I was like, well, dang it, I'm going to eat this. And so I put <laughs> my salad that I bought at the store. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I opened the book kind of with that story because on the surface, it looked like I miserably failed, right? It's like, if you only are judging your success in something by the outcome, which is part of success, obviously. Um, but if you're solely judging it by that, like, yeah, I completely failed at gardening. But if you also take into account how I learned to slow down, the lessons I learned about gardening, the way God grew me and like the healing that happened in, in my life, just through that slow and steady process of getting outside, being in the sunshine, watching things grow and trying to learn how to help them grow and all of that, like it was a massive success. And the next year I was able to apply what I learned from the first year and we had a lot more success. And so my point is like, I think we, when you tend to your life as a garden, you don't only measure success by the harvest, or in other words, getting all the outcomes you wanted, you also measure them by the growth that happens in you. You measure them by how well you learn to steward the lessons you, you, you know, learn the things that you grow, the way that you grow, the things that happen with your character. Like those are also pieces of success that prepare you for maybe the harvest you eventually will have as much as you want it now. And so I think I just have to come back to that a lot because when we're thinking about it as a game, we're thinking I got to cross the finish line or I've got to beat somebody, or I've got to score X amount of points. And if I don't get that, I failed, I lost. And I think when you can broaden it to this view of a garden, it's like, okay, I didn't quite get the full outcome I wanted. But like, even going back to that first garden where I only got four kale leaves at first, I was like, well, this was a failure. And I think a lot of times when something doesn't look how we thought it would on our first attempt or second attempt or whatever, we assume it's solely a failure. And for whatever reason, I had to kind of remind myself, like those four kale leaves seem like a failure in light of what I expected, but they're also a reminder that I can grow something. And they're also a tiny little reminder that something is possible. I may just need to make some adjustments to my approach or change my, you know, timing or whatever. And so, you know, I think so often we just focus on if something didn't reach our expectations, it was completely a failure. But I think if we can shift that perspective of a garden and understand like, no, that one plant that grew, like that's a reminder of what's possible. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that helped me a lot, just applying that metaphor to life, both in the, in terms of motherhood, in terms of marriage, in terms of business, like, okay, yeah, sure. It may not be at the level I thought it would, or I may not have the three kids I thought I would yet or whatever, but I've also had some sprouts. I've also seen my body can grow something, you know, it's just, we got to find the right, you know, the right, the right opportunity or the right, um, what's it called? protocols and things like that. Or, you know, I've seen that my business can succeed. It's just sometimes things throw you off course. Right. So it's just coming back to that, that I think is so important because otherwise we, we start, we start to identify with our failures and that's really, I think where we get stuck. For sure. How have you shifted how you goal set now? Because I know like 
you and I have, we've said, we were that person who, you know, set the goals for so many years and it was X, Y, Z, bing, bang, boom, do the steps, get the thing. Like everyone's a winner. And when it shakes you so much, and when you have that sort of identity crisis along the way, I know, at least for me, it throws off how you goal set, because then there was a point where last year I threw my hands up and I was like, I'm done setting goals. I don't even know how I must be doing it wrong. Like I can't, if I set a goal, it's not going to happen. I'm doing it wrong. Like cross it off. So talk to us a little bit how that has changed for you now too. Once you rethink how, what the end result even looks like, Mm -hmm. it kind of impacts every other step leading up to that as well. And your entire process going forward. So what does that look like for you now? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would say is I really had to learn what's the difference between arbitrary goals and aligned goals, because I think for a long time, I was just setting goals because they sounded good or because they sounded like the next right thing I should do, or because I saw other people doing them. And I think we just subconsciously do that. It's not that we're trying to make bad decisions. We just tend to do that. And, um, and so I think suffering and loss and just huge setbacks in life that all kind of happened in a very concentrated period. really made me kind of take a step back. So often the obstacles in our life feel like dead ends. But I think for me, it was like, I had to realize this is an obstacle for sure. Um, But it's also an opportunity to step back and reevaluate and really reconsider like, where am I going? Why am I going there? What are we doing, et cetera. Um, And so all of that said, you know, it became um, less about just setting whatever goal and more about asking a really key question. So now every time I set a goal, I ask what I call the single most important question, which is why, like, why is that something I want to do? Why is that a goal, et cetera. Um, and a lot of times when I start, it, it's a way to audit the things you think you should go for. And so that's the first thing is really just getting clear on like, if I don't know why I want to pursue this, or if my answer is like, I don't know, it sounds good or because I've seen other people do it or whatever, it's not a really great reason. So now I really only try to set the goals that align with something that is really, really clear and bigger than just it sounds good. So it might be, for example, um, one thing that I shifted to was instead of just trying to prioritize everything, I've tried to make, to set goals that were in line with what I call the present priority that I had set in my life. So a lot of times we talk about priorities and all the things we want to do and our responsibilities. And a lot of, like, there are a lot of things that we prioritize in our life, right? Our family is important. Our health is important. Our, our work is important. How do you possibly pick one to prioritize? So what I had to do is I had to start learning, how do I pick a present priority and still steward everything else that's important, but make it, but do those other things in such a way that they support what I would consider my present priority. So in, in that season we were just talking about, I had this realization that like, I needed to prioritize health and healing. There was a lot of healing I needed to work on. There was some health stuff I needed to work on. So that kind of became my short-term priority. The next like 12 months of my life that really became my focus. So then I started, when I started to set business goals or, or other health goals or anything, I had to try to make sure, does this support this present priority or does this take away from it? And so I guess my point is if you can set like, what is a short-term priority that basically, again, going back to that garden metaphor, taking inventory of your life, AKA your garden, right. And saying, what needs tending now, what needs the most attention right now? And you might find in your life, it's your finances. You might find in your life, it's your health. There's going to be something that's like a pain point that's sticking out to you. And then being able to set goals in such a way that don't necessarily like I guess my point is that, that don't take away from that, but that actually support that. And you can only know that by when you go to set a goal on anything that you think sounds good, ask yourself why, and ask yourself, does this support or take away from my present priority? I've been doing that for the last couple of years. And I think it helps me know and be able to make healthier decisions as to what to say yes to and what to say no to. There's still goals that I set that don't quite work out how I want, or don't happen as quickly as I'd like, as you mentioned. Um, but just that approach. And I think that 
that kind of just putting your goals under a microscope a little bit and saying like, why am I doing this? And why would I pursue this? Because a lot of times we get discouraged pursuing things that aren't even right for us to begin with um, because we're told we should or whatever. So anyways, just really coming back to what are the right goals for me in this season of my life? And how can I make sure that those are the right goals for me? So that even if they don't work out in the timeline, I'd like, I can stay committed to them and keep going. I love that too, because it really calls into focus. Like you said, the why behind it. And I know from doing that myself, there were like half the goals on my list where I was like, I could cross it off. It's all of a sudden irrelevant. And it was things, things that it it could be things you've held on to for a really long period of time. And if you're not consciously aware of why you chose for that to be there, it can be kind of alarming when all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, now I don't care about it, but it's really just a matter of refining that list. I, I read a book recently and the author mentioned it was like, because of how society is today, our goal lists can look so crazy much like Superwoman. It's like, I want the Pinterest perfect house and I want the six and seven figure business. And I want this, and I want to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom and ha- and be a great cook, all these things where years ago, one of those things might've been somebody's goal or their focus or whatever. And now we're not even aware of how impossible our goal lists can look Mm -hmm. because they are just, it's like, I want to be the best at all of the things across the board. And if I can't achieve it, it means that there's something wrong with me. And none of, and we get so, if we don't say it out loud and really intentionally scrutinize the validity and the reasoning behind it, we can literally trick ourselves into thinking that, well, we must be the problem and we just aren't good enough at whatever we're trying to do because we're not achieving it. When like, it might, it might just be totally disconnected from, like you said, the season that we're in the priority that we should be holding any of that. It's like, it's wild. It's really selling us a really great message. I don't know. The message of you can have it all has some validity. And I think to a degree that's true, but I think what it starts, the problem with it is it lacks context, right? So you can have it all makes us, I think, begin to believe I can have it all, all at the same time, all the time. And if I don't, there must be something wrong with me. And that's why I felt so strongly in this book about like, no, actually, I would like you to figure out what you actually want in a world that's constantly telling you to want it all. Like, for example, in my life, this is obviously kind of a big example, but we had bought a house. We thought we were going to fix it up. It was going to be like our Pinterest. It was like a really beautiful colonial style farmhouse on like three acres, it had some older style stuff in it. So we were in the process of renovating and making updates. And then we went through all this loss and COVID hit and it just became this huge stressor for us. And it was a bummer because we began to realize like, this is taking away from what we really need to prioritize in the season of our life, which is really health and healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. This is a massive stressor, which is making that hard, right? It's like causing so much stress and burnout and overwhelm and taking so much work, et cetera. And I had such a hard time coming to terms with that because that was the home that I had thought we, I had a vision for it. I was going to paint it white and put a front porch on it and, you know, remodel the kitchen and raise my babies there. And I had to come to this question for myself of like, why do I think that like literally the only reason I had was because it would look pretty on Instagram. Like, and when I got honest with myself of like, yeah, this is a vision I had for this house, but like, is it necessary? Is it really helping facilitate the primary thing that I need to be working on, which is, like I said, my health and healing in this season. And so we decided after the course of a lot of back and forth and a lot of indecision on my part to the point where we put the for sale sign in the yard and then I had them pull it like I was that stressed. But we eventually let go of this house because I realized like, yeah, okay, it's pretty. I could make it even prettier. Like, but why? And I couldn't come up with a really clear reason. And so 
again, I think it's this arbitrary, like, I think I, I want this and I should want this and I should want that. And when I started to identify what I actually valued, yes, a, a nice home is a good thing. And I want to be in a comfortable place that I can make feel like, you know, my own, but did it have to be that one? You know what I mean? Like, did it have to be on three acres where there was constant yard work and constant renovations and all these things? So I guess my point is like, yeah, what you're saying about this, this discipline of auditing and really scrutinizing the things you think you want. I can guarantee you, if you go through your list, there'll be a handful on there that if you're honest with yourself, you're probably like, I actually don't know that I care about that. Like, I think I've just been told or thought that I should care about it. Cause my friend has a nice, you know, three acre property homestead or because, you know, I've seen it on Pinterest or whatever. So like really going through your list and being okay with saying, what do I value in this season? And what can I give my energy to? And if that means I don't have, like, I think when we do have it all or feel like we have it all, that's just a good season. And we should relish in that and be thankful for that. But something's bound to go wrong at some point. You know, someone's going to get sick. Something's going to go sideways. Someone's going to lose a job. Like life isn't this like little like snow globe, you know? And I think we've been sold the lie that it is. So we try to hold it all and achieve all the goals and do all the things. And then we are disappointed and we feel like something's wrong with us. So that's why I think it's like permission is granted to really go through and scrutinize the things you think you want and give yourself the permission to release the things that you don't actually care about as much as maybe you've been told or maybe as much as you've thought you should. Yeah. And I'll throw this into, it was a nugget that a therapist told me a while ago. Cause we were really wrapped, like wrestling with this goal setting stuff because I was holding on to it with such a tight grip. And she said, it's really about you're controlling your input and you are surrendering the outcome. Or she said, you're, con- you're controlling the output, really it's input, but it works for the pun. And then the, the outcome is up in God's hands. And if you can approach it with a lens of curiosity mm-hmm. and instead of specific expectation, she was like, that's the key. That is the key to letting it go. You're still putting in a very intentional effort. You're still doing the work. You're still tending everything that you need to steward in every season, but you are not having this death grip on the outcome. You are surrendering it in faith and letting and approaching it with curiosity. Like, wow, God, I am so interested to see what's going to play out. And then it gives you not only the space for it to maybe not go quite as planned and like eliminate some disappointment along the way, but it also gives you the space for it to be even greater than you could have possibly imagined, which is something that we don't necessarily give ourselves the space to do because we think we have it figured out 10 steps ahead of time anyway, on our vision board a year in advance, like gold sticker and stamped along the way. So I thought that was just a really cool piece too. Yeah. I love this, this focus on curiosity because I think, and I think especially, and I'm sure you can speak to this too, but when something has gone wrong in your life before, or your past, I think a lot of times we have a hard time being present where we are because our past experience makes us afraid of the future. Right. Yeah. So this kind of approach with curiosity is a little bit different than like, Oh my gosh, what if it goes wrong again? Because even what I said, like about the kale plant a minute ago, that looked like it went wrong, but you can all like, just as much as it looks like it goes wrong, it can also be like, but what if it goes right? You know, like what it could each time you try something or you focus on something, it's got a 50, 50 shot pretty much, you know? And, and I think that's the scary part of it, but it's also, like you said, leaning into this curiosity takes some of that pressure that we feel to like hold it so tightly and make it work that like we've never been really responsible for to begin with. Um, I think it takes some of that off and it allows us to actually lean into the experience of being present and the reality of like just taking one moment at a, at a time as it comes, which I yeah. think we really struggle with when we're so focused on controlling the outcome 
because we think that it, this kind of output should directly equal this kind of outcome. And I think that's where the disconnect is, but yeah, I love this focus on being curious because it does take away yeah. some of that pressure. And it makes you less hard on yourself if, or when failure or disappointment or something not going according to plan inevitably happens where it's, you're a little less likely to internalize that as man, I stink. Like, or that was on me or shame on me, which in time hopes up. Yeah. Yes. And in time we internalize that. And that's what causes the identity crisis years from now where you're like, man, what is wrong with me? Who am I? Like it gives you, it takes that off of you and allows the the obvious outside factors, external variables, everything under the sun, it like gives them the space that they, they rightfully have to be there because they're real. And that's just how life works. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, for our friends listening in who also find themselves in one of life's waiting rooms, like what you and I are both in right now, drop some practical steps she can take to still make the most of that moment, still stay present. Like we've been saying, and ultimately just not waste the waiting period, even if she's just sitting there and going like, man, this is not fun. So, you know, I feel like a helpful metaphor kind of, I, I always like to go to visuals because I think that's kind of how we, it helps us understand where we're at. Right. And I think we, as, especially as believers, but just in general, I think the idea of contentment is really tough because And I know it was for me for a long time because I kind of thought that meant like I'm sitting around singing Kumbaya and like just happy with my circumstances. And then I think about, you know, Paul in the Bible, he was the guy who said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. He was also the guy who was put in prison a lot. Right. And I can guarantee you when he's sitting in prison, he wasn't like, I love it here. It's (laughs) This is a nice time. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. No, I guarantee he was like, dang, I can't wait to get out of here. This freaking sucks. Right. But at the same time, he still made the most of what he still did what he could from there. He wrote letters and he did as much as he could where he was to make the most of his circumstances. So that was like just a a reminder for me that like contentment is actually pretty active. Complacency is passive, but I think sometimes we get those two mixed up. And so if you think about your life, like on this journey and whatever the next mountaintop you're trying to climb is, maybe that's getting married, or maybe that's having children, or maybe that's a, a promotion in your career or something else that you're aiming for in life. The next, you know, four bedroom house from your apartment upgrade or whatever, but you feel like you've just kept running into roadblocks or every time you think you're starting off in this journey and things are going how you want, you get sent back to the starting line or the deal falls through or the guy breaks up with you or whatever. Um, you find yourself kind of just in this like pending mode. You feel like, you feel like your life is that like little loading symbol on the computer, right? It's maddening. And you just are like, the journey gets really exhausting. And it's really hard to keep trying to climb the mountain when you just feel like no matter how many steps you take, you're not really getting anywhere. And in my experience, I remember just feeling so frustrated in that. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, I feel like I just am so frustrated. I want to fill my time with a bunch of stuff. Like I just want to get busy. And I was really thinking more like work-wise because I tend to just like, overcommit myself professionally when I'm trying not to deal with personal stuff. And she was like, here's the thing. I get that. I've been there. Like she has had really similar experiences and she was, and she gave me the advice to really try to look at that time as a boot camp season. She's like, you're in a boot camp season right now. You're being prepared for what's to come. But the annoying part is we don't know how quickly that will come and what that will look like, but use this as a time to prepare. Now it's really important to differentiate preparing, let's say you're preparing for marriage. Like, let's say you hope to be married or you hope to meet your guy, but you've just kind of been in this waiting uncertain time. I don't recommend like buying a ring and like going to marriage counseling, right? Like that's not what I mean by preparing. What I mean by that is doing things that develop you, 
grow you, make you a more interesting person, all of that. So those there's like five or six things that I tend to recommend of like how you can make the most of the journey. Cause when it gets long, a lot of times we just want to say like, forget it. I'm going to sit down. I give up. I think instead we can say, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to have a picnic. I'm going to stop and smell the flowers. I'm going to bring a friend along this journey. I'm going to find ways to make this a little less miserable, but I'm going to keep walking, right? Like you can still aim for what you're hoping for, but try to make the most of where you are, right? Simultaneously. So what that might look like practically is it may look like finding a hobby. For me, that was gardening, was reading, but I really think trying to find a hobby that what I would say produces fruit or gives you some sort of like outcome is really important, especially if you're a go-getter or like an achiever, because we want some sort, like we don't want to feel like it's unproductive. If your hobby is walking or reading, which are two things I love to do in my leisure time, I enjoy them, but there's nothing that I have to show for that at the end of it, right? Like, it's not like I have baked goods to gift to my friends or a, a new DIY project that's now done in my house and I can enjoy. So whether that's gardening or cooking or painting or crocheting or something else, like find a hobby that you can either work with your hands or work with your mind that allows you to feel like it's productive. That is a really um, just a simple way to make it a little bit of a more enjoyable season when you feel like you're just stuck. Um, another thing that I recommend is trying to find a way to serve, ideally a way to serve where you're rolling up your sleeves and your hands are getting dirty. So yes, donate money to causes you believe in that's great. But again, getting actively involved in your life and in your community, seeing the difference you're making. And as a result, having a difference made on you, like there's something healing and sanctifying about that. You know, I had a friend who was struggling with singleness for several years. And within a year, she like got married, had a baby and like her life totally changed. But what was so beautiful about her single season is she was really struggling with singleness. And I was two or three years happily married, like didn't understand. But she said to me, I started volunteering in a nursing home. And I remembered saying like, that's random. Like why? You know? And she said, because I'm struggling so much with loneliness. And so I wanted to go and help other people who are struggling with loneliness because it gave me so much perspective. I'm like, wow, like I still have community and all these things. And so she really decided to serve in the area of her struggle. Right. And so anyways, when we went through our losses about a year later, after I had done some like emotional healing and whatnot, we decided to serve with a program called safe families. Cause I was just so inspired by that. And I thought that was going to be incredibly hard. It's like, you're hosting babies and kids in your home that are in crisis situations and trying to avoid having to put them in the system. And it was actually really healing for me, like to actually have positive experiences with babies and children where I felt so angry about that before. So everyone's different. It may not be the right fit for everyone, but that is something to consider if there's an area of struggle or waiting, like how can you serve other people who may have that, you know, maybe having a, a pain point or struggle in that area in a different way. So that's the second thing, serving, finding a hobby, serving. The third thing is like getting curious, learning something new. Um, I asked my dad to teach me to play poker. I started learning more about women's health. I learned more about gardening and cooking and nutrition, like things that were interesting to me. So allow yourself to use this as a time to develop your, your knowledge, your, your, your interests, you know, and, and you don't have to become like a pro, a professional poker player or a pro at women's health and start a career in it. It's just like, get curious, let yourself learn. Um, the fourth thing I would say is check something off your bucket list. Like do something you've always wanted to do. I think a lot of times when life isn't looking how we thought we put our life on hold because we're waiting to get the thing. I want to go to Paris when I have my husband and he can come with me. I don't want to, you know, do this. I don't want to get a puppy or do this thing or whatever until I have kids or, I don't, and it's like, we kind of stop living because we're waiting and waiting for our life to start or the next season to start. And so, you know, I had to lean into like, what are some of the things I've always wanted to do? So my husband and I finally did a hot air balloon ride. You know, we've taken trips that we didn't think we would take until we had a family. So leaning into what can I be doing in this time? And maybe what have I always wanted to do and that I'm maybe holding myself back from. 
because I believe the lie that it shouldn't happen until I'm at this stage of my life or my career or whatever. Um, so those are just a handful of ideas. There's other things too. Um, but those are just a few ways to try to lean into like, how can I make the most of this season and how can I try to make the weight or the middle a little less miserable and a little bit more intentional? I love all of those ideas. And I also love the fact that not once did you mention forcing yourself to be okay with something that truly is not okay for you. Like you're not trying to change the way you feel necessarily. You're not trying to convince yourself to feel otherwise, or like, just get okay with it and breathe. No, you're like, you're letting those feelings still be there, but you're just finding other ways to still like your life amidst all of the sucky parts. And I think that that's super key because there's so much messaging in today's world. That's like, oh, you're just supposed to like choose happiness and, and just keep going. And like, it's great. And you're like, that's not, that's not real. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to try to pull up. There's what you mentioned about liking your life like that. I came up with this idea of liking your life because I think everywhere we turn it's, we're being told like, create a life you love, love your life. And then like, sometimes I want to be like, hello, sometimes life is hard and hard to love. So at the very least, can we like, like what we're doing every day? You know, like we might not love it, but, um, this is the quote from the book. It says, liking your life doesn't mean you can't aim for more. It doesn't mean you don't plan hope or dream of possibilities. It doesn't mean that you quit longing for whatever feels just out of reach. That's a really key thing. Cause I think sometimes we think that if you're content, you no longer, you just stop wanting the thing you want. And I, I think that's kind of a lie and it's setting us up for confusion. Um, and then it says, it simply means you learn to sit with the tension of both disappointment and possibility. You allow yourself to simultaneously aim for what could be and make the most of what currently is. You know what you really value in a world that's constantly saying you should want to have it all. You redefine what success looks like for you, find contentment in what you do and create a lovely existence even before you see the outcomes of your pursuits, like we were talking about. You yeah. trade perfection for whimsy, delight, faith, and intention while tending to the life you've been given. That's, I think, really what it looks like. And that's the challenge. It's like, okay, you may not love everything about your life. There's still probably things you long for, but what can you do to create a lovely existence right where you are so it's a little more bearable? Yes. Also, did you just have that like post it noted right in front of your face at the perfect moment? Because that was As like, we talking, I was like, <laughs> Like, like hurry up, like, find it through my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a okay. perfect place. And you're like, look at this. I got a quote right here in my book that just perfectly no, just speaks to it. it. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, on that note, I feel like this is a great, this is a question I ask everybody to end the show, but it's, I think, really relevant here where we're not in this season of like, did all the things, checked all the boxes, bossing it, loving it all. Like there's, there is that tension there. Like you said, mm -hmm. what does thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life now? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. I think for me, it really means making the most of where you are, like what we talked about and not giving up on where you hope to be, because I think we tend to think those things exist kind of as mutually exclusive realities. And for me, I've had to learn to sit with the tension of both and to thrive is like, I'm going to thrive where I'm at as much as possible, but I'm also not going to give up or just, you know, quit on the thing that I really believe is the next right step for me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my brief and short and sweet answer to that one. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on thrive. It's been such a joy, um, as expected, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone got so much out of this conversation. Tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you more and also where they can grab a copy of embrace your almost. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And I am embarrassingly easy to find on the internet. You can find me on Instagram and across all platforms as Jordan Lee Dooley. And then my website is Jordan Lee Dooley. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> that was like a struggle. Um, and my website is Jordan Lee And then you can find, um, 
Embrace Your Almost and my first book, Own Your Everyday. Anywhere books are sold, Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, really anywhere you get books. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.